Welcome to Empire City Cannabis. Uh, we are the number one podcast in New York for the cannabis industry. And we have Melissa Moore on. So Melissa Moore is the uh, New York State Director for the Drug Policy Alliance and also helps to coordinate the Start Smart Coalition. So uh, thank you, Melissa. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. So um, what I what, what I love about the DPA and their efforts on cannabis and legalization, right, is that it's all about, um, you know, equity, but but really beyond that is a buzzword, it's about a personalized, individualized approach, right, a, a, a people first approach to advocacy when it comes to cannabis. Is, is that kind of correct? Yeah, that's absolutely it. And, you know, within the cannabis space and the marijuana justice work that we do, but also, you know, all of the campaigns that DPA runs, you know, from the end overdose coalition to our work going back to repealing the Rockefeller drug laws um, and with the Drop the Rock campaign, it's really about making sure that we are accountable and operating in a way that is directly linked with the people who have been the most impacted by the policies that we're trying to change and who should be centered as we're moving forward. And so absolutely, I mean, that informs the work that we do um, from you know the, the very inception of any sort of policy or legislative campaign that we might run is you know, talking to folks and really building with people um, who are, you know, at the ground level, who are the ones experiencing what's going on so we can craft what the solution should be. Yeah, excellent. So are you, are you, have you been in New York your whole life or, I mean, obviously you're a New Yorker now, but, um, but yeah, where are you from? I'm actually from the West Coast. I'm from California originally, um, but grew up, you know, in and around Inglewood and downtown LA and saw firsthand how the war on drugs was impacting my friends, the people in my community, um, and the extreme disparities within that, which, you know, certainly have parallels within New York as well. And so, you know, as I moved into the New York context and began working with DPA, especially and working on the, the marijuana justice campaign, you know, seeing the data, seeing the enforcement trends and the targeting that's happened for decades in New York, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't much of a surprise. It was mm, a much bigger yeah. scope even than what I was used to in California, which kind of blew my mind because the, the extreme harms that I had seen growing up were certainly not limited to one neighborhood or one community. It was really extensive. And so seeing a place like New York, where it was even more egregious and even bigger than that, you know, unfortunately, New York can lay the claim there of being the marijuana arrest capital. And, you know, for many years, having the experience where there were more people arrested than could even fit inside of Yankee Stadium, just for low level marijuana possession every single year. Um, so yeah. yeah, I've, you know, now that I've transitioned to, um, to East coast and, you know, really delved in and what we're seeing both in the city, but then all over, you know, all different corners of New York state of just how these policies are actually playing out and impacting people. It's horrible. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like when we talk about the West coast in the context of cannabis, you think of this kind of glamorized, you know, um, idea of, of cannabis culture actually. So my father grew up. Hawthorne Boulevard around the Long Beach, Inglewood area, you know, bounced around over there and grew up in that world. And it is much different. Well, it's much different then than it is now, of course. Um, but that definitely shapes your your view and, and your worldview, worldview on, on cannabis. So it, when did the work towards legalization in New York really take shape for the for the DPA? That's a great question. You know, it's interesting because it it actually you know, although it feels like a very long campaign, we've come so far within a pretty tight, a pretty tight time frame, and that's because of the foundation that was already laid. So, you know, there was the, like I said, like the work around the Rockefeller drug law reform and drop the rock. 
which although it was much broader in terms of all of the different um, factors that were coming into play there, did also hinge a lot on just the way that low-level marijuana was being used as like a blanket excuse for law enforcement interactions with people, ways to target folks from communities of color and low-income areas in particular. Um, and then from there, we built around, you know, really looking at the marijuana arrest crusade in particular, um, and then also partnering with patients um, to run the Compassionate Care New York campaign around getting medical access established in New York for the first time. So there was kind of a twin effort for quite a few years of working on the medical ex established um, program, but then also working around marijuana decriminalization um, to address just the rampant uh, arrests that were taking place all across the state. And around that time is when Colorado legalized, we see kind of the first states legalizing for adult use through ballot initiatives, which, you know, in some ways is a little bit easier tack in terms of, you know, just making sure that public opinion is on your side and then being able to move things through that way, not having to necessarily convince uh, legislators who are often you know, because of stigma, because of misconceptions, you know, operating from a place of this being kind of a third rail issue, or at least they mm. were for quite some time, that is definitely flipped now. But, um, but in New York, we saw that, right? And so there was kind of this, you know, dual effort around uh, decrim and making sure that just we're trying to stop the harm of the marijuana arrest crusade and also make sure that patients would have access. Um, and then, you know, as, as we saw legalization coming to the fore in other parts of the country, that's when, you know, we really buckled down and started, you know, conversations with the co-sponsors of the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act of looking yeah. at how could we actually bring an adult use legalization proposal to New York, um, but also make sure that it would be rooted in justice and rooted in equity um, and making sure that we were learning the lessons from some of the places that had already moved ahead of us. And, you know, at that point, we just transition fully into working around the adult use campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a really important. So these two words, equity, justice, equity and justice, right? I think they're very important. They're used all the time. They're almost misappropriated a lot, right? Now, when I think of equity, I think of justice, I think of almost two different. So we've talked about decriminalization, it never goes far enough, right? But decriminalization is really focused on the consumer, someone who's using cannabis. Whereas I think of equity and I think of equity in the space is focused on the entrepreneurs who have been in this space and who have had their lives destroyed by the war on drugs, right? Because the war on drugs touches a lot of them. They touch a lot of people in certain communities differently than others for certain, but also the, it's effect on people who are essentially in the industry, right? And those who are, you know, um, casual users or, or medicinal users or who, whatever, whoever someone's using cannabis. And, and in fact, and, and, you know, I, I made this point, uh, when we spoke to, uh, Diane Savino, Senator Savino last week is that people might use cannabis in the morning from a medical perspective and from a quote unquote recreational perspective in the evening. Right. So there's no lot, there's no, um, clear lines there, but now on the equity issue, right. We'll talk about equity first. What does an equitable cannabis industry look like to you and to the DPA yeah. in New York? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important observation. You know, these terms are thrown about at this point because we've mm -hmm. really successfully shifted the narrative from one that was rooted in stigma and basically like a prohibition light, um, very fear-mongering basis to mm -hmm. uh, a totally different framing and, and really different understanding and messaging around the issue. Um, and I think, you know, equity is really at the heart of that, as we've seen you know, some of the early states to roll out adult use programs, it was really just kind of like 
get it over the line. Like, let's just make this happen and then like see where we stand. Um, and, you know, once we were able to do that assessment, we really saw that there, there was not equity, there was not diversity within the industry that was taking shape. Um, and I think, you know, there was this sort of pivot moment from when a lot of the, the business around cannabis was focused within the medical space and, you know, really geared toward patients there was a different sort of balance within that. I'm not saying that there were no issues whatsoever, but it, it became a much different animal as we shifted into the adult use space and it became a sort of commodity like we see in so many other sectors of the economy. And so wanting to make sure that as we're you know, assessing what different rollouts and what adult use programs were looking like in different parts of the country and seeing that there was almost an inverse relationship between the demographics of the people who were most harmed by marijuana arrests and targeted enforcement and the extreme racial disparities that we saw in New York, but also in every other part of the country as well because of structural racism. And then looking at what the industry as it was taking shape was beginning to resemble, which was almost the diametric opposite. It was you know, people who were well capitalized, people who had not been criminalized, even if they had been using previously uh, for the most part and people who by and large did not reflect the demographics of the communities on whose backs we sort of got to this moment. And so, you know, as we're talking about equity as the foundation for what legalization can look like in New York and wanting to legalize the right way, not just like any which way, uh, which, you know, the sponsors and really everybody who's part of the Start Smart Coalition has been very clear about, um, it really does involve making sure that we have you know, access points for people who don't have the benefit of huge amounts of capital behind them. Yeah. So that's like co-op or business and, um, you know, making sure that there are many different entry points for people, um, as well as making sure that there's actually resources behind it. That's one of the biggest sort of pitfalls that we've seen in other states is like, you can have social equity priority licensing, you can have different, um, you know, different mechanisms or entry points, but if there aren't any material resources um, because of federal prohibition, the fact that people can't get a small business loan when they're trying to start their cannabis business, that means that it, the onus is on us. The onus is on the state to make sure that there are actually those resources baked in from day one so that people can be able to stand up their business at the same time that other people who are entering the space are able to and don't lose that first to market advantage. So, you know, the Marijuana Regulation yeah. and Taxation Act does that by having you know, an incubator program for small businesses and for social equity licensees that actually has technical assistance and legal counseling, as well as low and zero interest loans. Yeah. And so you mentioned the Marijuana Regulation and Tax Act. So now does the cannabis regulation and tax act go far enough on that on that side, the governor's proposal? No, it definitely falls short. I mean, in this area and so many others, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are there are inklings and there are some things that have been borrowed from the MRTA and some things that have kind of crossed back and forth between the different proposals since we're now in year three of having these two different legalization positions on the table. Um, but overall, you know, especially when we're looking at a, a laser focus on equity provisions and comparing them between the two bills, the CRTA, the governor's position, uh, is really a far cry from what we need in New York. You know, it doesn't have... A, a, a clear, you know, we go back to that accountability factor again. Yeah. There's no person, there's no entity who's really accountable for making sure that the social equity program 
gets up and running the way that it needs to, that it's serving the population as intended, or that it even has the sort of benchmarks around the number of licenses or the percentage of licenses that could, should go to social equity applicants versus the MRTA, which is really clear on all of these factors, has a chief equity officer yeah. who's part of the mm -hmm. leadership team. You know, things like that, that really show the level of detail and comprehensive nature of the MRTA and the way that the sponsors have thought it through, have really listened to advocates around what is going to strengthen that bill as much as possible in these critical areas. Because we know everybody else is going to get in, you know, but it's a matter of sure exactly. Though. Yeah. So it's almost, it's almost like, so, so what I'm hearing, it's almost like, well, there is already a massive wall. I mean, there's also, there's already barriers for, minorities and low-income people to get into business in general. Those are compounded by the fact that it's illegal federally, right? And so what we know is going to happen because it's happened other places is that predominantly white male, wealthy with quick access to cash, easy access to cash are going to dominate the space and monopolize the space. So what you're saying is that legislation needs to force the state to put licenses in the hands of small business owners who are minorities, who are from low-income communities, right? And so therefore to try to level the playing field because it, the, the cards are already stacked against them to begin with. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the people who are, who are positioned, you know, as you laid out, are going to participate in the space, are going to have yeah. their avenues towards success. It's really a matter of being super intentional in this moment in the way that we're crafting the framework for New York in ensuring that there are the access points that we're actually building up a system and different license types and different ways that people can participate and transition in from the legacy space as well and not further criminalize that, not double down on the same prohibitionist tactics that have failed us for decades in New York and have been extremely harmful, but instead coming up with a new way to do that and not just operating from a business as usual sort of standpoint. And so that's what we're advocating is making sure that, you know, first and foremost, there are those really clear intentions baked into the framework here. Yeah. No, it's, and the, the point on legacy operators, I think is so good. You know, I, I, I uh, had someone on Twitter say, well, we have to make sure, you know, uh, most people are decent who are quote unquote drug dealers and growers now, but you know, they, there's an effort, there's an element of criminality and violence, et cetera, associated with broad generalizations. And I think that's pervasive amongst regulators, amongst uh, law enforcement, amongst those in the industry, right? I had one of the, you know, top talent, um, you know, recruitment companies in cannabis tell me, oh yeah, there just really isn't many experienced people out there to pull from. And I said, well, <laughs> then you're not looking in the right places. Um, yeah, but I want to talk about wild. Like there's it, no it's way. crazy. There's no way. It, it's, and that's like, I mean, honestly, that's a willful ignorance. Um, and it is. you know, that's something that we have to call it. Between the governor's bill and what's on the table in the MRTA is the governor's bill has a felony exclusion. If somebody has participated in this space before as part of the legacy market has been criminalized for it, they're blocked out of participating in the regulated space versus the MRTA, which says, look, if people have that experience, let's actually bring them in. Let's make sure that there are access points and only bars people who have had like a business related felony from getting a license. So if somebody has been embezzling money in the past from a business that yeah. they own, that's generally not a good practice to shift into this industry. Yeah, well, there's a bunch of those criminals already in the industry. Uh, they sit on the board of a lot of the MSOs, right? <laughs> and, you know, uh, criminal in their, in their own rights, right? Um, so 
when we talk about communities, right, what is, we hear this term disadvantaged community. So what is a disadvantaged community in your opinion? Who is part of that disadvantaged community, communities in New York? I mean, I think there, there are so many different ways to, to slice it, but overall what we're talking about are communities and neighborhoods very specifically where there has been disproportionate and totally racially targeted enforcement of cannabis for decades. Um, and upstate, you know, that, that there are also extreme racial disparities and we have report after report documenting the data that we have from Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, you know, all over. Um, but also looking at the ways in which upstate enforcement has just played out differently as well for low income people, you know, back before bail reform went through the fact that, you know, people were being held on a low level cannabis possession charge um, in their local jails by sheriffs for 30 days or more in many instances, mm. um, completely yep. upending their lives, making it impossible for them to show up to work, to pay the rent, um, just having this like huge snowball effect in their lives. And we see that again and again, you know, whether it's downstate or upstate, every single corner of New York has been affected this way with not just the the arrest and the criminalization process, but all of the other huge universe of impacts in people's lives that we have to address comprehensively as well. Yeah, well, and that's a it's a great point because you know you can get picked up for having cannabis on you, or say you're growing cannabis, etc. And long as well, you know, most of the time those cases get thrown out. Yeah, it might get thrown out, but you were in jail without even being charged, without even being charged because you couldn't afford bail. Right. And so that's such a great point. Well, thanks, Melissa, for for coming on. And, uh, you know, last little question here. Do you think it gets done this year in New York? I mean, tapping into my crystal ball, um, all I I can say is, you know, I'm not in the mind of Governor Cuomo, thank goodness, because that's not anywhere that I want to be close to. Um, But, you know, just looking at the landscape, you know, at this point, we have incredible champions in the legislature. The whole dynamic has shifted now that there's a supermajority in both the Senate and the Assembly. Uh, The calculus is just different from what we've seen in prior years. And, you know, the, the, the actual public opinion, it, it like just continues to build in favor. The most recent Siena poll that came out showed the highest support ever in New York for legalization. Um, and the fact that our neighbors are moving on this issue, you know, we're soon going to be one of the few states in the entire region that doesn't have a, an actual market um, and has not further acted to end prohibition and, uh, and criminalization. So I think all of those factors combine to to push this forward uh, really powerfully. Um, but at the same time, we want to get it right. You know, it's it's not enough to just get it over the finish line. So we'll be looking at all the yeah. details. Absolutely. Let's get it done. Let's get it done right. Well, thanks for joining Empire State of Canvas, Melissa. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me on.